I'm here with Jay Scott on the Hook Rocks. This is Austin Mead. I don't even know what the fuck else to say. Welcome back. It's the Hook Rocks. It's Jay Scott. Thanks for tuning in once again. Always appreciate when you stop by and give us a listen. You can follow us wherever you do podcast, subscribe or follow or on every podcast platform. And you can follow us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Hook Rocks. As I always mention, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, great network of music podcasts. Check out them on all social media platforms at Pantheon Pods. And uh, they've got a, a really nice diverse collection of music related podcasts that I think there's something for everyone. So check that out. Um, always enjoy what uh, my brothers and sisters are doing on Pantheon podcast and great shows on there. Uh, we've had some great shows to start the new year off. We did our annual album of the year episode with Chris Corradetti, my friend and uh, who's been doing this with me for now three, almost four years. We also do our quarterly episodes. So find out who we picked. For our album of the year and where we ranked our top 20 and top five EPs. We also had Richie Kotzen on talk about his new album with Winery Dogs that just got released a couple weeks ago. Fantastic album. Uh, we just had Rick Nielsen and Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick. That was a great episode for, for me growing up in Chicago, knowing that Cheap Tricks from Rockford and to finally have Rick on and Dax, um, was great. Dax, uh, I've known for a while. He was on my roommate's second album back in the like late 90s, early 2000s. That was a really cool thing. And here Rick talk about Jeff Beck and the story that he shares about selling one of his Gibsons to Jeff Beck after uh, it broke the, the, the headstock off during a show like in 1968 or 1969. So that's a really cool story for you to hear. Uh, we've had some great new music spotlights. We welcome Empire, the great UK band who's got a new album coming out in March. Fastest Land Animal which is a really cool kind of punkish type band that I really did enjoy. We had Screaming Jack Novak from from that band as well. We talked the monopoly of Live Nation and Ticketmaster and the current Senate hearings that are going on right now and how that affects you, the music fan, and so many other great episodes. So check out what we've been doing. we got a lot of things lined up. And we've got another episode of Conversations and Collaborations. I started this series... God, December of 2021, our first guests were Tyler Baker, Goodbye June, and John Nadoa of Dirty Honey. And we've done so many others. We had Travis McCready from Bishop Gunn. We've had Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods, um, Joyous Wolf, Nick Reese, uh, Guernica from Thunder Mother. And I was planning on doing one of these like every month. And then touring season started last year. And everyone that hadn't been touring in 2020 and 2021 was on tour. And just was unable to get people together and do it. It's a nice problem to have, and it's good for them that they're all touring. But we're back. And I'm back with two of my favorite guests that I've had on the show. Uh, two extraordinary people. And uh, 
great musicians. I'd like to welcome in Ace Von Johnson from L.A. Guns and Sam Bam Colton, the guitar player from Dorothy and Butterside and also Faster Pussycat, which he replaced Ace from when Ace was in that band. And uh, we're going to talk to them just about what's been going on and their views and experiences in the music business. And I hope you enjoy. And I'd like to welcome Ace and Sam. What's happening, guys? Howdy. Nice to be here. Nice to see you. Hello. Yeah, the last time we saw both, or I saw both of you, was at the New Year's Eve show for L.A. Guns at the Whiskey, yeah. which I was supposed to go to the one in 2021, but I got COVID. Hmm. So I had to cancel my California trip, and I was heading out there again, and my buddy was like, where do you want to do on New Year's? I'm like, well, I didn't see him last year. I want to see him this year, and that was uh, L.A. Guns. It's a fantastic show, and then got to talk with both of you briefly at the uh, Rainbow afterwards. That was a good time, and hope you are both experiencing a good new year so far and, and uh, great, great to have you here. Yeah. So far, so good. So, so far, so good. So you guys <laughs> are being like really quiet and really, you know, subdue at this point. So got to liven things up. What's on the docket for, for this year, for both of you. Go ahead, Sam. Oh, okay. okay. Now you go, you go. Uh, some, uh, stuff is shaping up with Dorothy to, to start, uh, kind of starting around April ish. So some stuff with Dorothy and then probably some stuff with Pussycat during the summer. Uh, Butterside also is on the festival Welcome to Rockville, which is in Florida. So hopefully everything works out and lines up, but that's kind of what's everything's kind of starting to shape up now. Cool. Uh, LA Guns has a new record coming out, uh, Black Diamonds, mid-April, um, and uh, some dates to support it, uh, which are just starting to pop up now. Uh, the internet has a tendency to find out what they are before I am, so I can't really tell you much. Um, but we do have another show at the Whiskey uh, album release show, Saturday, April 15th, I think is the date. Uh, dates around then. And then, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're actually doing a, uh, this thing called the eighties cruise. It's literally what it's called, uh, with Devo and Brett Michaels and the church and Morris day and the motherfucking time and uh, a couple other great bands. And, uh, that's kind of it, uh, in front of me for the next few months, as far as, you know, road time, but, um, there's always something keeping me busy, especially the dogs. <laughs> Welcome to Rockville is a really cool festival because it really does put new bands on a platform. Like, I mean, I saw with the warning play there, I think two years ago. Um, I didn't see them, but I saw that they played there. And there's just so many other new bands that get to take part in that festival. And it's really become something that has been lacking in a long time for rock music is the promotion of new bands and new artists on a big platform like that. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I played Welcome to Rockville once with Dorothy. It would have been a couple of years ago, I think now. And then Dorothy also kind of does that, uh, the circuit of the Danny Wimmer festivals. Like I think this year we're on Sonic Temple and maybe one other. Uh, but we've done a few of those, like the Louder Than Life and... Uh, I'm I'm blanking on a couple other of the names, but yeah, with with Butterside also, we've started doing some stuff involved with Danny Wimmer uh, since they've had this Twitch countdown show 
that's been going on weekly via uh, our friend Matt Penfield, and they are taking that show to TV on uh, Access TV. So that's that's kind of another thing because that's been a, a platform where people have gotten to hear our band, uh, or you know, people that might have not heard us before were discovering the band and the music and stuff. And uh, we did something cool for the TV show, so we'll see how it works out. What's the difference between a festival circuit and just a regular tour? Is there any differences? Massive. Yeah, you just you get to sound check in front of a bunch of people. <laughs> there is that, yeah. <laughs> you get to, uh, you know, it's yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, you roll up to those those festivals. At least in my experience doing them, they've been whether they're like fly dates or when they're in the middle of a tour is kind of a little more interesting, really, because you'll have played a gig probably the night before and then you roll into the festival early and then it's just like you might be playing at two o'clock. So it's like, oh, shoot, you know, we wake up at noon. It's like, oh, time to time to go. Yeah, it could definitely throw you for a loop if if you're in the middle of a tour where you're sort of set on a schedule of like, okay, sound check. You know, load ins at three, sound checks at five, stage times nine thirty, and then the next you do that for seventeen days in a row, and then you show up and it's a Friday, and they're like, "No, your load in is at eight a.m. and your sound check is at ten fifteen a.m. and you're on stage at two thirty p.m." You know, and the yeah. sun's cracking down on you, so it's definitely a whole other a whole other animal. Uh, but the cool thing is, it's usually. You know, it's like walking into like summer camp, you know, you're like, Hey, there's, there's Steve and there's Jimmy and there's Jessica. Hey, everybody, you know, it's it's definitely that kind of vibe. Usually if you've been out, uh, long enough or, or been, you know, in the sort of industry for a minute, et cetera. So it, it, it can be a nice change of pace compared to just the typical rigmarole of like, you know, a headline show or a package tour or whatever, you know, not nonsense, if you will. So it's nice, nice to break it up. Uh, and it's even nicer if you can get a whole string of them, you know, do a whole festival run where you're doing festivals on the weekend. This is more of a European thing, but, uh, you know, hit, you know, you're at, you know, grass pop or you're at, you know, Hellfest or whatever it is. Rock and ring or all those things. Exactly. You know, and then you've got some yeah. headline shows scattered throughout the week, et cetera. As far you you mentioned the the differences you know the the, the schedule differences how does that affect the energy for you guys and or is it a different type of energy? Uh, I think so. I mean, obviously, if I'm playing at the crack of noon outside with the sun hitting me, is not the same vibe as me playing at 11 p.m. in a darkened club with you know a, a light show or whatever um, festival festivals can be great because you're getting sort of your music exposed to different people and a larger audience in theory is what the whole sort of point usually is unless you're the headliner. And, um, so, you know, in, you know, on paper, you should be playing in front of sort of more people than you're used to. So it's interesting to go out. Um, you know, I've been down in South America was like, okay, we're doing these three headline shows and it's going to be three to 500 people. And then there's this one festival show and it's 27,000 people. So it's hard not to compare, 317 people to, you know, 10,000 plus people when, you know, it's, it's a whole other vibe and usually for the better, you know, I'm sure Sam would agree. Totally. Yeah. I mean, they're both completely different things, even though in theory, you got to kind of give it the same show. Mm. Uh, But that's where it's kind of almost a little, at least uh, for me, in my experience, it's like, okay, you got to play at two 30, but it's like, okay, when it's time to go, it's time to go. So 
uh, it's, you might have to work a little, a little harder for, for the audience too, because a lot of those people, it might be their first and only time seeing your, are not there to see you. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's the other thing where there's kind of that extra excitement of like, Oh no, we got to go kill it because you know, a lot of these people in the sea of 30,000 or whatever it is, or 27,000, it's like no idea who, who we are, let alone who the players maybe even are, you know, they might know who the artist is that we're playing for, but they might not know who we are, whatever. So, yeah. What about like the location differences? Like I've seen festivals in South America and the fans are just insane. You know, like like just jumping up and down on every beat and every riff. I mean, I I know it wasn't a festival, but I go back to that River Plate concert with ACDC in Argentina, where yeah. they're just I can't take my eyes off the crowd when I'm watching it. What are the differences between Europe, the UK, South America, the US? Uh, well, I mean, I spent a lot of time bef- leading up to fast my time in Faster Pussycat playing in in sort of rock and uh, like punk and roll and rock and sort of punk bands um, that were exclusively known or had a record deal or whatever in Europe. And so I spent a lot of time um, touring Europe throughout my 20s. Um, at one point, Tammy from Pussycat and I had talked about this. I've actually been over there, I think, probably three times as much as, as he has in his career. I think I've done 15 European tours. Um, and it is a whole other animal people over there are a little bit more diehard. And I, I don't know, I, I hate to be like, Oh, it's a cultural thing, but I mean, you could be, if your band is big here, your band's probably huge in Europe. And, and, and the same thing kind of applies to South America. Um, I feel like obviously the continents are so completely different and the people are completely different. Cultures are completely different, but as far as fans of music, really seems like any type of music, but as far as let's just imprint this sake, uh, talk about rock music. Uh, I feel like the fans of rock music are, are rabid. Whereas um, here, you know, you, you get a lot of, I ca- it's like, I call it the major city blues. Like you play Hollywood and people are like, yeah, anyhow. So there I, you know, Hollywood, a thousand people. Yeah. Anyhow. So uh, I was checking my snatch pat and this like came through and it's like, you go to Europe and people are like, ah, I want, will you sign my album? And then, you know, it's a little more ravenous and uh, obviously Japan, the same thing. I mean, I I've been over there before. I was there for a month when I was in Murphy's law and I got off the plane and there were people waiting to take, to take, you know, this was in, Oh, I don't remember, 06, 07, something like that. And people, it wasn't, you know, iPhones yet. It was like, they still had little, you know, digital cameras. cameras and people were taking selfies with us and they didn't know who the fuck we were. They were like, it's American band, you know? And uh, you don't really experience that here. Uh, the level of excitement I've seen in literally every other country having been, like I said, you know, over to Europe a ton of times. And I think I've been to South America now five times and, and, you know, maybe Australia a little less, but like, it seems like the more Western influence the place has, the less excited they might be. And I mean, that might be just my personal experience probably is, but Europe and South America definitely stand out as far as having people that are just excited uh, fans. And, you know, fans is short for fanatic. And I would definitely say they're fanatic they're, they're more in that line 
of fanatic than they are just like, oh yeah, I bought the digital single and it really, I liked it. You know, I feel like that's more of a, you know, stateside thing where you're, you're, you show up and I'm like, wow, we sold out Chicago and people are like, yeah, hey man, great show. And you're like, all right, that's cool. And you, hey, New York City. Yeah, man, good to see you. Great show. Okay, cool. And then you go to, you know, Lima, Peru and they're like, ah, give me your clothes. You know, I don't, I don't know why I turned into Arnold Schwarzenegger there, but you know, <laughs> get them to the chapel. Yeah. You know, but it's definitely a whole other animal. And I'm taking the baton and running with it because I, 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 not to, you know, whatever, but I think I've done a bit more of that. Sam, have you been to Europe yet? I can't remember. Yeah. Okay. Uh, little, a little bit, but it was with, it was with Butterside and we went to do the Wacken festival. Oh, yeah. Wacken. In, in Germany. And that was like, you know, I feel like going over there, we're, we are a relatively very unknown band, but we played to a gigantic crowd and they yeah. were super into it. And even all the headline shows that we did in Sweden and Finland, it was like, there were people there. I mean, yeah. didn't know what to expect. And uh, yeah, but no, Ace running with the baton on that one is, is very fair because uh, I have much less experience going to those places but give it, uh give it time young padawan give yeah <laughs> isn't it also with the u.s kind of based on location i know you just mentioned like chicago and new york but i i i've been to shows throughout the country and it just seems like depending on where you're at the vibe is different like if you go to a show really? in chicago or michigan it's different than if you go to one like in phoenix yeah you know, oh some yes Sometimes just in the U.S., it can feel like a different country. Agreed. Yeah. Playing in Texas and playing in Philadelphia is definitely the same vibe as playing in Finland versus playing in, you know, West Germany or something like that. Yeah. Might as well be in a literally another country. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned the crowds in the U.S. I I just saw Orianthe on Friday night with Mm -hmm. with John Karabi. Oh, cool. Yeah. It was a great show. Um and I, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm 48 and I've gotten to be grumpy as I've gotten older, but I don't understand how people can have a conversation about something completely, you know, different than the person they're seeing. And I can understand if they're talking about the artist or the band, but like when I hear, oh, I gotta, you know, my, my babysitter, you know, wants me to do this and wants me to do that, or I gotta take my, you know, they're talking about something unrelated to the show. And I turn around and I look at him like, why are you here? Like, yeah. why are you here? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not interested in seeing what you're, what you're here to see. I, I would say it was every night that I was on the last tour with Sam and I'd pop out into like, you know, some corner of the audience to, you know, watch Tony or Sam or whoever was on stage, et cetera. And people would just, it was almost like a background for, yeah. uh, you know, a good 10% of the people. And I was like, you know, it's great that you're here and we appreciate the support, but like, damn man, like you, we only get 40 minutes up there. You at least humor the band for 35 minutes and stop checking your, you know, stock portfolios or talking about, you know, your grocery shopping agenda for the week or whatever, but you know, and, uh, it certainly depends. I mean, for, yeah, for some people, of course, but go ahead. Yeah. For some people, it's probably just like more of a social thing. I, I, I'm sure in and I think we're, bi- we're biased because for me, it's like, this is what I do, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you know, as the, as the, you know, sensitive artist type, it's like, Oh, how, you know, how could you talk over this 
this, you know, this Sam's up there delivering this amazing guitar solo and you're like checking your eye watch, you know, and, um, you know, again, that's sort of one of the differences between maybe you mentioned the South America crowds or European crowds that are a little more like hanging on your every note. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like I said, life gets in the way and I get it. You know, it's not like I'm expecting people to be held captive for a while, but you walk around the outer perimeter of, of a concert venue while a band's on stage and people are like, yeah, so anyhow, Chuck, how's the kids? And you're like, what the fuck? You just do that in the parking lot. Right. You know, save that but for another the lobby. Time. <laughs> go on the lobby and have a conversation. I, I saw totally. Rival Sons like three years ago at the House of Blues in Chicago. And I'm watching them. It was a great show. And there's a woman off to my right on the phone yelling at her babysitter and looking up at her husband. I can't hear her. I can't hear her. And I'm like, really? You're at a rock and roll concert. Yeah, Why would you think you'd be able to hear her at this point? You know, and she's like yeah. yelling and screaming. And I think it was distracting the band because the band kept looking at her. And then there's this other woman FaceTiming her friend, like in front. And it's just like, God, I like, like you would think I'm not even at a rock concert. It's like a social, like you said, a social event where, you know, yeah. it's just background music. Yeah, I mean, I I understand it. I, it's not that it doesn't make sense to me. It's just to me, it's like an eye roll moment of like you know, save it for later. Like you paid for the ticket, you, you're here for three hours. It's like a movie. Like if you walked into a movie for two and a half hours, and you're like, hang on, everybody, hang on, stop the movie, stop the movie. Hey, Sam's <laughs> calling. Hey, man, I'm in a movie. What's going on? Like people would be like, boo, get the fuck out of here. It should be kind of in the same, you know, realm of like you know like I. I've been at shows where I was like, Hey, I got to take this call. I'm going to step outside, go into the lobby or like, you know, decline. Hey, I'm at a, sh- I'm watching Sam Bam Colton kill a guitar solo right now. You got to give me 90 minutes. I'll call you back. Is the house on fire? Are the kids still alive? They're good. Okay, cool. I'll talk to you tonight. You know, but right. again, it it's, I think it's, it's might be, I would file that sometimes under sort of a cultural thing here, you know, uh, where everybody's entirely the center of their own fucking universe. So, you know, God forbid there's a band on stage. We can't talk about, you know, the sports event from last week or whatever during it. But again, I'm not here to pass judgment or care. I'm just telling you what my observations have been over the last 22 years. Oh, we are and, here to pass uh, judgment. We are a here. lot of that. <laughs> hey man, I'm not here to judge anybody. I don't give a shit, frankly, but it is, it is a little, di- I think the term might be disheartening. You know, I'm on stage and I look down. And Annoying. Like texting. Annoying. And like, like, like you're like they're looking at me and like uh, you can't hear them because you're playing through amps and they're like talking with their hands and like oh my god really and you're like you know I thanks for coming I guess I don't know so anyhow I'll leave it at that. It, it seems like in terms of the U.S. and culturally with with stuff like this with any type of experience, but you know I go to a lot of shows so that's kind of what I always kind of correlate it with. Yeah. Is we we are so used to not to being physically there, but not mentally present. Mm-hmm. But we want to show people on social media where yeah. we're at. Yep. Like, yeah. But but we're not even you know like you know twenty five percent of the crowd probably even more is going to watch the show through their phone, which is I I don't understand that. The other twenty five percent, maybe thirty percent, is talking about something unrelated. And then there's people that are getting distracted and trying to watch the show and be present. But it just yeah. seems like we always want to show people what we're doing and where we're at and what experiences we're 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 going through or or you know 
an event that we're at and but not actually be there we're we're yeah. there but we're not actually there well it's you want it's it's like a fomo thing you're like well i want to i want to prove to instagram i checked in and put my photo you know like me waving with the band in the background there's a lot of there's a lot of that and it's it's a, again leaning on this expression it's like a cultural thing i have a personal rule like if i go to a concert unless it's a very, very, very special occasion, I have a 90 second rule. And it means that like, if I'm watching, uh, here's a case in point. I went to see wasp, uh, a few months ago and, um, you know, was fortunate enough to, that was, you know, I was gifted the ticket. It was, I was put on the guest list or whatever. And still it wasn't like, Oh yeah. You know, like, you know, a whole thing. I sat in my seat and I have a 90 second rule where I was like during this whole show, I'm going to film 90 seconds of the show for posterity or that 30 second chorus of the song I really like, or my sister is going to be like, Oh, I wasn't. I'll be like, here's 30 seconds of L O V E machine, you know, and that's it. And then the rest of the time, you know, I'm not saying I'm not going to pull my phone out and be like, yeah, the show's great. I'll talk to you in an hour, but I'm trying to be present watching this concert that I'm attending. I'm not like, you know, it shouldn't be like, Oh yeah, oh, that's cool. Eh. Oh, Oh, I, I, yeah, I like that song. Anyhow, I try not to be that guy. And, you know, I'm not, again, I'm not here to judge. I don't give a fuck what anybody does, really, unless it's hurting somebody, right? But, you know, you see so many people that are, like, streaming the whole show or filming the whole show, and you see this sea of cell phone lights, and it's, you know, it's a little distracting on both ends as an audience member and and, and additionally, if you're on the other end, the receiving end. And, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a weird disconnect um, where I just try to, I, I, you know, I'm an old punk rocker. So I'm like, if I'm going to the show, I want to be up front. I want to get sweat on. I want to, you know, sing along. I want to enjoy myself. And of course, as I've gotten older and it's a little more, you know, dangerous, I'm like, Oh, my wrist got hurt in the pit. You know, it, it, you got to stand in the back, but that doesn't prevent me from enjoying it. But to me, the antithesis of that is like, you know, treating the show as like a secondary, like, Oh yeah. Eh, eh, anyhow, you know, like I just, and it's a little, you know, it's 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 not always the most enjoyable uh, sort of thing when you're on stage and you look out. In but the crowd. to be fair, this uh, this isn't like a. It's not only this. I mean, yeah, it happens sometimes. But I know we're harping on this quite a bit. But it's like there are a lot of people that are really into it. That's oh no, exciting. no, no! Absolutely, I was just literally yeah. going to say you look out and you see about ten percent of the audience are sort of indifferent. Uh, and this, I, I mean, I've had this happen with headline shows, whether it was Pussycat or LA Guns or, or other, you know, artists I've played with, you know, and it's like, it's just an interesting sort of observation, if you will, as a guy in the band, um, or even a, a person in the audience, you know, I, I go to my fair share of concerts on my own as well. And, uh, you know, I just sort of always feel like, it, you know, that's like a lobby thing or like, you know, I'm going to go, you know, take a leak and check my email. but. uh I would never want to be the guy standing in front of like, you know, in the front and like like playing pong on my phone or something like that, you know, and I've seen (laughs) it. Is there a pong app? Probably, you know, Tetris, whatever, solitaire. I've definitely on the last summer tour, Sam and I did, I definitely looked out people in front of me and could see this guy on a screen looking down and he's fucking playing solitaire. No joke. I've seen it. That's welcome to the world of a touring rock. Artist in the 2020s, I suppose, right? Yeah, man. 
That is, yeah. You know, I was at the show Friday and Karabi was up there and it was just him. He was doing acoustic set, acoustic, yeah. playing a song. And he, in the middle of the song, he goes, hang on. And he gets off his stool and he looks at this woman taking a selfie and he gets behind her and waves at her. Yeah. He goes, never mind. I'm doing a show here. I just wanted to make yeah. sure I'm in a selfie. <laughs> yeah. Break the fourth wall. Um, yeah. that might have been, uh, you know, if I did that, that would be my passive aggressive way of being like, you know, I'm doing a, fucking show here can you give me 30 minutes of your attention or maybe take the selfie you know later but john's a sweetheart so he might have just been like oh i'm gonna get in this photo you know me on the other hand i'd have been like no i'm gonna get in this photo and then i'm gonna whisper in your ear like hey watch the show and put your phone away for the next 17 minutes thank you but i'm also a dick so who knows isn't it also indicative of of what our society is as a whole and in yep. large part, why music is not appreciated as it used to be, because whether you go to a show and people are distracted and not mentally present, you go to a, a store like Target or wherever, even Starbucks to get a coffee and music is on in the background. And I think that causes a, a lack of appreciation of the art form because yep. it's become more or less background music. Yeah. And it just kind of I think it kind of correlates with what people experience at a live show. There's, excuse me, there's definitely some connections there. And I think it comes from the fact that most art uh, based media, whether it's film or music or, um, you know, traditional types of art uh, seem to have over, I would say, the last at least 20 years sort of become to be expected uh, as, as, you know, free. You know, uh, in Canada, they have programs where it's like, oh, if you're a musician, you get a government grant. Um, you know, there's similar th- programs all over the world. Yet here, stateside, uh, it, it's a different approach. You know, I mean, there's there's no joke about the term starving artist. Um, and uh, especially talking about the music industry, you know, I'm 40 and being having been doing this for literally over 20 years since I was a teenager, you know, I you know, not to go about, you know, Oh, I did this and did that. But I remember getting a record deal and I remember, you know, there was, you know, money involved in publishing and a little bit more of a lucrative thing just at the tail end of that. You know, by the time I was 21, it was, I could already watching the, the tides turn there. And, you know, with the advent of streaming and YouTube and Spotify and all these, these platforms, which are in essence, in theory, really great um it's basically made our art uh disposable and so people treat it as such um and um you know if you're able to make a living playing music sam myself um it's a very uh rough road uh to travel and uh it's even more difficult to really genuinely make a living at and it's because the powers that be uh, sort of are like, Oh yeah, you play in a band. Yeah. We, we just did this massive tour. Yeah. And you're like, and you came home with $1,700. Okay, cool. You know, and that's just how this is now it's called the music business. And there's because there's some guy at Spotify making a billion dollars hawking everybody's music catalog for, you know, fractions of a cent on the dollar and people sort of respond in kind. Oh my God, Metallica's new singles came out. Well, where can I hear it for free? 
It's like, no, 20, 30 years ago, you were like, I'm going to go to Tower Records and I'm going to wait in line and I'm going to spend $5.99 and get that 10-inch single or what the fuck ever, you know, or, you know, Jethro Tull's 8-track and 75 or whatever nonsense, right? Those days are really over and, you know, we have to sort of bob and weave with the industry as it comes and goes. But it can be really dis again disheartening. It's it's it, being a musician is 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 a really heartbreaking career, at least in not only what I've experienced, but a lot of the people around me. I don't know if Sam would agree or not, but it it requires a lot of sacrifice and a lot of time and blood, sweat, and tears and all the sort of typical expressions and euphemisms you come to expect. But it's because you have to do all this stuff basically for free. You know, Sam, how often do you do something for free or next to free? Frequent, I'm guessing, right? You know, Fair, fairly f more than I would like to say. Like more than we'd like to admit, and it's because you're, like to admit. you're. It's a lot of you know, ho ho hoping out, holding out for you know. Well, I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for that hamburger today, and then Tuesday never comes, and someone still got the hamburger. You know, so there's a lot of that. You know, and I think people that aren't in the music industry, and I know because I hear about hear from them every fucking day on social media. You know, Joe Bob and fucking uh, Sheboygan is going to tell me his two cents on it because. You know, he bought a CD from the band I used to be in eight years ago. So obviously he's an expert. Uh, you know, I hear about it every day about everybody's two cents and what it's like and et cetera, et cetera. But unless you, you know, walk the walk or have been through this or been in a touring band or spent months or years or decades doing this, you really don't know what it involves and what it entails. And with that comes the whole point of why people are like, oh, yeah, he's in a band. It's kind of it. I, I was making a living. I had played on a session of an artist that was a household name. And my family was like, oh, how's your little music career going? And I just was like, you know, it's, I'm good. You know, and my inner monologue is like, fuck you, you know, and you, you have to have that approach. But unfortunately it comes with a lot of, um, you know, giving it away for free, you know, and, and going out there and working your ass off and you, you know, you're going to get these people, uh, that, you know, your music was free to them and maybe the ticket was free or maybe they, you know, it's 12 bucks or 18 bucks. And so that's all you're worth to them, you know, and it, it, it is what it is. And I'm not complaining. I'm just sort of, you know, I I've made peace with it a long time ago and, and, you know, I'm, I'm good, you know, and when people sort of harangue me on the internet, I wake up and I walk around my house here and I go, no, I'm good, homie. You know, you can think what you want. And it's, and it wasn't an easy path. And it wasn't an easy path for Sam and it definitely wasn't an easy path for me. And, uh, you know, giving it away for free, you know, you end up like this, a slightly jaded, slightly bitter uh, career musician who's, you know, not really good at lying about uh, the tumultuous industry that we're in. And that's my TED Talk, sponsored by Coffee. You know, I think I think of you two, Sam. You know, more or less being an emerging guitar player, even though he's established, but he's still yeah. younger in age and you, you know, at 40. So you got to see kind of what it was like before the big change or kind of, you know, what people were doing. And I, and I look at musicians now who are coming in like new bands. I think they've all, there's always been a love for playing live and playing music, right? Cause you don't become a musician unless, unless you, you know, don't love it. Right. Or unless you love it. And, and in theory, in theory, in theory. Right. and I, I'm sure there's people that get into it for the money, but those days, unless you're, you know, <laughs> there's no money in it. There, there's a little money in it now, 
Yeah. Or you've got well, to there's work, always been a little bit of money in it. It's just, you've got to work a lot harder to get it. Right. Yeah. You've got to work a lot of harder these days in order to, to make money. And, you know, and I think of Sam coming on where a lot of these artists, Sam's age and, and, and in that, that generation who are really working the grind. And I really think as opposed to the artists that are kind of the legacy artists, there is like a love, a true, true love in the artists that are doing it today because they are doing the grind because they love doing it. And like, not to say that, you know, that the generations previous didn't, but now I think this is just, you know, they're, they have this pure love of making music and pure joy of doing it because it takes a lot to make money. Sure. Well, I mean, there's, there's been a really great resurgence of a lot of young rock bands. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you mentioned a bunch of them. I've seen so many of these great bands that come off a lot of these like DWP festivals and stuff like that, um, here stateside that are doing really well. And, uh, you know, even an artist like Dorothy, um, but even before Sam joined her band, you know, it was really interesting to watch this sort of story arc and pendulum swing up in favor of these bands. And I think it's great. And I think it's amazing, um, that there still is rock music. I mean, I don't think it'll ever go anywhere. I think it just sort of changes with the ebb and flow of things, but you know, I also understand that, you know, as a guy who's played in a lot of legacy bands or, or bands, you know, uh, you, you know, that I maybe came in and replaced somebody or something like that. Uh, my sort of, you know, trajectory is different than a lot of other people's. And, uh, you know, there is, you know, Sam and I, case in point, you know, you can, if you work hard enough, you know, I'd say it's when people are like, can you give my, my son, he's 13, he's wants to be a musician like you. Can you give him some words of encouragement? You know, there is there, you know, you can make a living at it. It's just, it's a, it's a long way to the top. If you want to rock and roll, baby, you know, it's like the song says, and it's few and far between where you see guys that, um, you know, I would put Sam almost on the other end of the trajectory uh, of the sort of thing, you know, scale with me, you know, as a guy who, you know, I've known Sam, what, how long have I known you now? Eight, nine, 10 years, something like that. A minute, a know, while, a, a while, you know, and I met him and he was a kid, you know, and he was hungry and he was talented and he had everything he needed to make it, you know, and then watching him sort of ascend into, you know, now he's, you know, pe- you know, like, you're like, oh yeah, the guy from Alice Cooper's band is calling him up or whatever the hell it is, you know, you know, and he's hanging out with the, you know, I'm not going to name drop or embarrass him, but you know, he's hanging out with the guy from this one band doing an arena tour, you know, he's, he's ascended into uh, what I call greatness and it's impressive, but we're, it's also, you know, it, it is a needle in a haystack and uh, you know, there's unfortunately a lot of, uh, a lot of hay and uh, um you know, I, I, I always look back and I'm like, ah, oh, this is a, quite an adventure, you know, and I'm sure when I'm Sam, I'm sure when you're my age, you know, you'll have the same approach or, or, or feel. And, um, it's just, I, I love seeing bands come out that are new and great and watching them do well. Um, it gives me like a sense of pride as just like, a, like a fellow musician, like, fuck yeah, that band's awesome. And they're doing really well that rules. I love that, you know? And, um, when, you know, I don't want, I don't really want to name too many names, but when like bands are good and they succeed, that makes me happy. It doesn't have to be a rock band. It can be anything, you know, as long as there's live music going on, but it is also, you know, shouldn't be a surprise to anyone watching, listening, you know, reading the script 
script of this that, you know, for every band that gets a record deal or plays a huge festival or sells out the Palladium or is able to pay their rent that month, there was another 20,000 bands that never left the garage, you know, and uh, it, like I said, it's a long, it's a long way to the top. I don't know where I'm even going with this anymore. And I'm just ranting for the sake of it, well, but feel free to know, interrupt me anytime now, gentlemen. Um, You know, starting this podcast as a music fan and doing it yeah. now for almost four years, my perspective on things has changed drastically because sure. people tell me things and I hear things and I see things and whether it's, you know, a, an artist dealing with litigation about an album that is shelved or, yeah. you know, I had right. an interview with an artist that worked hard on this album, had a big tour lined up and then they shelved the record and it's not even my record. And I just feel like heartbroken for the artist. Cause it's, it's, it's part of your soul when you're creating music, it's you're bringing out you when you're and all of a sudden that's gone and you can never get it back. And yep. you, spend all the time and it's you know when i hear a fan you know say things in passing or, or or just kind of dismissing musicians concerns it's like okay if you had a machine shop and you were told to make this product for a customer and you made it and you made a hundred of them and you spent the time and, and the material to do it and all of a sudden they didn't like it and they weren't going to pay you for it yeah like that's kind of what it is that's right. exactly what it is. Yeah. It's and, just, how would you feel? Like, like, how yeah, would you feel of, of wasting sort of material and time? You know, underlying theme of my last 15 minute rant is like, you know, I can spend years crafting a song or working on an album or, you know, a, a hypothetical you can work on this piece of music. You can go out there and tour it endlessly. You know, like I said, you walk, you're out there and you're playing in front of 75 people or 25 people or a thousand people or 20,000 people, whatever. And you're walking out there and there's some guy like, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, just swiping my Twitter here. And, um, you know, and then at the end of the day, the promoter's like, all right, here's your $78, you know, and you got to truck onto the next city or whatever it is, you know, like, uh, you know, like the song says, man, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll and really do it, you know, and, and there are certain people that are lifers. And then there are people that sort of pop in and pop out, you know, and if you're lucky, you become a paramour or you become a Dorothy or you become a um, Black Veil Brides or somebody like that, that sort of ascends, you know, to this next level where you're like, okay, cool. Now we're, this is a career now and our band is known and we're selling records and we're selling tickets and all these things. And, and it's great when that happens. But again, like I said, for every time, you know, for every time you ring a bell, an angel gets its wings or whatever. It's like every, for every band that does that, there's still, you know, 10,000 garage bands that never, you know, get past, you know, playing maybe the local circuit at best. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that, you know, you don't reap what you sow, but, um, you know, I think there's this misconception that everybody, um, often, you know, there's this misconception that people are like, Oh yeah, I started a band. And the next thing you know, I had, you know, five gold records and a Porsche in my, in my driveway. It really doesn't work that way. Um, so, uh, or if it does, you're again, you're one in the, uh, you're the needle in the haystack. Right. So, you know, I, 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 that's why I always tell people, I go, look, if you love a band, you love an artist, whatever it is, whatever the media it, it's your favorite director. It's your favorite, you know, guy who makes, pogs whatever like support your support your arts you know um and and we see a little less of that here in the states 
Um, you know, people, like I said, aren't as fanatic and that's fine. You know, I'm not here to. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline you know, scold anybody, but like, if you, for example, there's a, Sam knows all about it. There's a newer band out there out of the Pacific Northwest called unto others. They're sort of like a goth rock metal band that I love them. And I was like, this is my new favorite band. That's new. I love this band. And they put out an album and I bought it. They put out a color variant of the album. I bought that too. And I bought one for Sam. And then I bought one for my guy down the street. So it's like, I like this band. I'm going to support what they're doing. I bought, I almost wore the t-shirt today, you know, because that's just what I want to do as a fan of the band. And I, I wish people were a little more understanding that, you know, uh, just cause you downloaded the song on Apple music, uh, you know, for every dollar you spend on it, the artist probably got about seven cents and then five cents of that went to management. And then the other two cents got split up between the six guys in the band, you know? So when you're like, I bought your single and it's like, Oh, okay. Thank you. I think. Thanks. I think Um, there's, you know, there's more to it like than that. And uh, just even buying a t-shirt or buying a hat or buying a CD or, you know, or paying attention at the concert goes a lot more, goes a long way and uh and we see it you know and 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 you know just because i'm an old guy in in a legacy band doesn't mean i don't have friends like sam or guys that are in younger bands you know that i talk to on a, on a daily or whatever that are like man you know i wish everyone would stop looking at their phone or whatever whatever you know obviously i'm just leaning on that because i was part of the conversation topic earlier but you know yeah i just I've wish got a, I, i've got a rule that when i'm seeing a band live, or I know I'm going to go see a band live. I don't buy anything online. I go buy it yeah. at the show. I, you yeah. know, I, I buy it at the show. It's because, because the money's going pretty much directly to them. To the band. 
I forgot what, sorry to interrupt. I forgot what the band was. I want to say it was Exodus. Someone from a known band, I can't remember, said, all we are is traveling t-shirt salesmen. And there's really a sad element of truth to that where it's like, yeah, we're going to get up and I call it the grinder box monkey. You get up and they, you know, you do your little dance on stage and you entertain and people are still, you know, swiping on Tinder or whatever. And, and you, you go back and you hustle your merch sales and hopefully you guys made enough to, you know, fuel up the wagon to the next show. Um, and more often than not, that's really what you're looking at. Here is the scam of Spotify and streaming services in a nutshell, to put it in the most simplest forms. They have a platform. They don't create any of their own content. All the Mm -hmm. content is made by other people that they put on the platform. They make millions and billions of dollars and the content creators who are there. So this platform can exist, make shit. Yeah. Pretty much in a nutshell what it is. Right. So like you're thinking, think of that. Like, I'm in, you know, I, I do real estate as my adult job. And there's nice. this platform that gives us the ability to advertise the, our, our listings. So I go out, I take the pictures, I put in all the information, all that stuff, and I submit it to this platform. And I have to pay $600 a month in order for me to do that. And I'm the yeah. one doing all the work yeah. to go do it. And it's kind of a similar thing with Spotify and these streaming services. These artists are making the content, making the music, giving it to them not getting anything in return basically. And then these guys are, are making millions and billions of dollars. And that's why as a fan, you should support and spend money on artists. When you go see them live, you should, I mean, I've got one item of merchandise, 1200 pieces of physical media behind me. Um, and probably two thirds of these bands, uh, maybe half of them, whatever still exist, you know? And so I'd like to think that if I'm buying an album from, Unto others or Dorothy, you know, I've got two of her records behind me. I'd like to think that some trickle down effect of that dollar is, is ending up in the artist's pocket. And that's not me talking as a guy in a band. It's me talking as a, as a fan and as a, as a, um, someone purchasing the media. Um, but when you get the vast, vast, vast majority of people are like, Oh yeah, I just downloaded it for free. It's, I, you know, my Spotify subscription. And again, I think on paper, theoretically, these are great platforms, but they've been monopolized to the point where, you know, I, you know, I've probably got 40 songs I've got a co-write on on Spotify and I don't know what I get annually, but I guarantee you it's not enough to take all three of us to lunch annually. You know, that's that's the music industry nowadays. You know, I mean, again, 20 years ago, I, I mentioned it briefly, but it was like I remember, you know, it was terrestrial radio. You know, and like, oh, I, you know, wow, my single's out and it's charting on CMJ and it's, you know, we cracked the top 200 and wow, like that equated something. And now it's like playlists and all this stuff. And again, great platforms for the fan base or for the guy in the suit and tie in the office that's collecting all the revenue. But ultimately, it's really, it's almost a lose-lose unless you're, again, one in the, you know, 100,000 that's able to lobby that into, uh, a you know, a national tour or a career or, or whatever else. So that's why I love watching Sam do things like the Dorothy gig or Butterside where it's, it's a younger demographic. It's a younger market. It's a younger, maybe younger genre, even though it's rock, it's all rock music. I had this conversation with a buddy about a month ago and I was like, is there a drummer? Is there a guitar player and a singer? That's a rock band. Okay. And well, what about this band drummer, a bass player, guitar player, singer, rock band, I, like blink 182 rock band, uh, 
Cannibal Corpse rock band. You know, it's like, it, it, like, look, is it a guy sitting there making it on a laptop? Not a rock band. Okay, cool. Is there a drummer, bass player, guitar player, singer? Rock band. You know, so we all kind of got to look out for each other. And, um, you know, uh, I guess the takeaway from all this rant for me is that if you like a band, you know, go to wherever, go to your local record store, go to Target, go to Amazon, whatever, order the CD, buy it on vinyl. Uh, you know, nothing's, there's nothing wrong with digital downloads, you know, especially if you're paying for it. Um, but stream, streaming services, whatever the term would be, like Spotify, et cetera, don't really, uh, benefit anybody other than the guy in the, the, you know, the CEO guy and then the consumer who's just getting it for, you know, fractions of a penny versus what it cost to, well, it used to cost to make an album. Now we, as Sam and I are very aware, can make an album. I mean, I'm sitting in my office right now. I make plenty of music here for free, but, um, you know, it, it, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely more of a struggle now than it, it used to be. And, um, I wish people were a little more, uh, conscious of, of what goes into like, you know, wow, like these guys, you know, this guy's singing about his, you know, his wife left him. This is some heavy shit. You know, it's, it, it's, you know, it takes a lot to expose yourself, your soul, if you will, et cetera, you know, um, and put yourself out there like that and, uh, be subject not only to the people in the audience or the guy, maybe just checking his phone or screaming at the babysitter, et cetera, but also the, uh, the online, uh, haranguing that seems to never end. You know, everybody's got their, their, like I said, Joe Bob and Sheboygan's got his two cents, you know, and I bought a CD. So I'm going to tell you on Twitter that I don't like your length of your hair or some ridiculous shit and uh, welcome to the music industry. You know, Sam, when you were on the show last, when we did an interview, you mentioned Ace is like the big brother you never had. How, how did that relationship <laughs> between the two of you come to be? He lost a bet. <laughs> uh, here, yeah, I'm going to enter back into the conversation. Sam has entered uh, the chat. Sam has entered the chat. Uh, the I met Ace probably just through jam nights and stuff that happened out here in L.A. Before the apocalypse, there used to be jam nights that happened like every Monday, Tuesday, and then sometimes Wednesday. And uh, we kind of just met there, I think, and then just kind of became better friends as as time went on. And uh, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I met you before all that. I think I met you, you were playing with a female artist for a minute. And um, I think I met you at that point. I mean, I know you were still a yeah. teenager. You were probably like 18. Yeah, you, know, you might have even. I been... moved. I moved here when I was eighteen, so I probably oh. was nineteen. 18, 18 19. That makes about sense. Because I remember your twenty-first birthday, and I had at least known you for a year, at least. So, because yeah. um, I tried to buy you a drink, and you were like, "No, thank you," and which I respected. And uh, I don't know. I just I saw you play with different a myriad of different artists and jam nights and all that you know nonsense. And uh, I was like, "Wow, this kid's really a fantastic player." At such a young age and really has his head on straight and uh, seems to be, you know, everything that I wish that I had been when I was his age. And so I admired that and just, you know, he's no one doesn't take a rocket scientist to tell you he's a really great human being and a great kid. And you know, he's no longer, you're no longer the kid, Sam, 
but uh, a great human being and a fantastic player. And, uh, you know, I just took to that and I was like, this guy's awesome. Um, you know, I hope I can help him. You know, it's, there's a occasional, you know, someone will be like, Hey, do you know someone who plays bass or I'm looking for a drummer or whatever? And, um, I just always thought, you know, if I ever heard of someone looking for a gig, uh, he would be one of the first people I would call and, um, you know, doing jams together. And then eventually I needed to, uh, pick a, uh, sort of, uh, sub player for my pussycat gig. And what was that? 18 or 19, 19, no, 18, 19. 19. Yeah, 19. And so, um, because I did about maybe 12 to 18 months of overlay between doing both LA Guns and Faster Pussycat at the same time. And uh, Sam was pretty much the first person I thought of. And and then off he went. And, um, you know, I mean, with that sort of scenario, it becomes like a big brother. Um, excuse me, type of scenario, you know. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And I always thought uh, when I was, you know, kind of first, you know, I saw I would see Ace play at the jams or even just kind of hanging out. I've always just kind of thought it's like, oh, that guy's really cool. I want to be friends with that guy. And now uh, I paid him to say that. No. And now that's that's kind of what the case was for me with with uh, a lot of people kind of when I was first first came here. I was like, oh, man, I just love to get to play with those kind of guys or you know oh they're they're really cool and then uh, and now they're all like my really close friends so yeah how important was that for you when you first came to LA is to have relationships like that and kind of have mentors that were important to you and helped you navigate through uh, the business very i mean that's kind of uh, my whole life has kind of been really like that uh, music wise even back home in st louis before i moved to la having kind of mentors there but uh, here especially because it was it's at least when i first moved here so i know this is only 10 years ago but when i first moved here it was a little harder to kind of break into the the scene with people you know everybody was kind of a little more it was a little different back then now there's kind of all these other jams and stuff that different people can kind of go and do even if you're not like a name player that's what i'm talking about like because there's certain but with a lot of these these nights and social events uh you if you weren't kind of like a name guy it was just kind of like okay you're just there yeah uh so it was really important to have people like that to help open the doors and and to get the opportunity to show people that you may be able to do the thing (laughs) <laughs> how has the landscape changed for when you first came out there to now uh well now i mean there's there's i mean it's even changed since uh since ace has has fled uh but the it's it's really just kind of uh there's stuff is starting to come back still there's not like uh, a consistent like every single Monday you can go to the Viper room and there's a jam and every single Tuesday you can go to the whiskey and there's a jam and you can hang out and you can mingle with people. Now it's kind of happening a little more infrequently, which is not entirely a bad thing. Yeah. I agree. Uh, kind of keeps it a little more fresh instead of every single week. Like, okay, we got man in the box. Here we go. You know, like, so, uh, 
it's a little more fresh, but it's, it's certainly changed. Cause when I first moved here, it was like, you could go out every night kind of not every single night, but yeah, I think that as the story goes, cause I had, I interviewed Dorothy in December and she tells the story that, that she went to see you play live with Ace. And at that moment, she knew that you were her guitar player. That's correct. That's what I've heard. <laughs> uh, as considered, I was the ear that she was whispering into. I can confirm that that is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my audition for her was, uh, I, I kind of feel a little fortunate that the the couple of gigs that I have, I wasn't exactly asked to audition. I think for Pussycat, my audition was Ace sent pay me a couple photos and a and a video of yeah. me playing at a jam night, and again, and then uh, I think my audition for Dorothy was Ace bringing her to the Viper Room, playing on a jam night. Yeah, we got up and did a song or two together. I think also I can't remember what it was, but. We did. And it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of funny. The, the, the few things that I, I have auditioned for have not really kind of gone all that well, but then these things, everything's just kind of worked out. Auditioning sucks. I've auditioned. Yes, it does. I've auditioned for a few artists in my time when I was a little younger, fresher stock. Right. And, uh, it's not really an enjoyable process and I'll leave it at that, but. It's it's nice. Especially if it's a when the cattle call ones. Yeah, fuck all that. It's just like it's it's like depressing. You walk in and there's like thirty guys that look just like you that are like, "What's up, man? You here for the gig?" You're like, "Yeah, yeah." It's it's, I'm not into that, but uh, I think most of my gigs, just like Sam, was like, uh, you know, a little more personal. Yeah, I never auditioned for Fast with Pussycat. I showed up at Tammy's house, and he was like, "So." I heard you're going to play guitar. And I was like, yeah, I I guess. And I sat down and was just sort of picking. He had a Les Paul in his living room, that gold top. Right. And I was just sort of noodling on it. And he goes, all right. He goes, hands me a CD and he goes, here you go, Bubba. Don't suck. And that was it. You know? So I find those type of auditions. Yeah. Those type of auditions are a little more, uh, a little less uh, pressure inducing. Same thing with LA guns. I never auditioned. I showed up and, uh, uh, I forgot who someone was like, Oh, it's an audition. I was like, well, if you want me to audition, I'm not coming. I was like, you either think I'm the guy. Cause you guys keep calling me, which they did for a year, which is no secret or I'm not. So it's like, I'll come down and I'll rehearse and we'll run through the set. But I was like, if you want me to learn the set to audition me, then call someone else. And so they're like, Oh no, come down here. That was, that was management. And so I, wa- I went down there and we ran through the set one time and Tracy was like, all right, you're, you're the guy. And that was it, you know, and we, we had three other rehearsals back to back and he canceled them. He was like, no, nah, we're, we're good. We don't need to flog a dead horse. <laughs> I think we did the whole set once and then a couple key songs maybe again. And that was it. And off I went, but again, no, no formal, no cattle call, no auditions or anything like that. Those things. Suck. Yeah. On a smaller scale, much smaller scale. I experienced it through the, through my son having an audition for the house band at school, Iraq. Yeah. And he had to learn cult of personality. Wow. And he was, uh, yeah, he was stressed <laughs> out. He was like, this song is so hard. Why do they give me this song? You know, yeah. that it's so hard. It's so, you know, 
He's like the patterns. There's like no pattern. It's like it's just that song is amazing. But yes, it sucks to have to play. Yeah, it's I don't awesome. think I could play that. I think he was 15 it's or 16 when he when he had to learn it, and he was like a bundle of nerves, like through that whole experience. And I said, "Hey, man, you know they they asked you to audition, so they liked you." I said, "You know they probably know it's a difficult song to play, but they just want to see how you go through it and how you you know." deal with the changes and all that kind of stuff. So it's not just maybe yeah. necessarily playing the song right, but how you push through it. They probably want to just Yeah, probably making probably making sure, you know, they'd be able to do to do it. Yeah. But he was that he was stressed. I felt bad. I mean there's nothing I could say yeah. to like comfort him. He's like, oh I suck. I can't believe they asked me to do it. And he was like this emotional wreck for like a week. And um he made house band, so I said, "See, all that worry was for nothing." See, yeah. and he nailed it. Yep. It's just, it's so, it's got to be such a. Um, I mean, you guys have been doing it for a while, but I, you know, when you first start doing that and you got auditions, I mean, it has to be like this because you get, you kind of get in that that mode in your mind, like this is the end all be all. If I don't get this, I'm horrible. I suck. I, I why am I doing this? It's got to be like a bunch of mind fucks for however long that process has to go through. That's kind of not to take this uh, back anywhere negative-ish, but it, that is kind of this whole whole gig as a musician. It's like it's all in your head of like, ah, does this suck? Do I suck? Is everything does everything suck? <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of self doubt, for sure. In terms of the positive side, you know, you guys both have a lot of success, and you know, you <laughs> with with L.A. Guns. And Sam now with Dorothy and, and, you know, it kind of gives you the ability to do Butterside and some other things. You know, when you start to gain some traction in this business, you know, how, how rewarding is it? Or do you feel like you have to keep proving and validating yourself? Uh, I mean, you know, what is it? Uh, complacency leads to, you know, death or something like that. What is it like if, you know, the shark stops? swimming he sinks and dies or something like that it's it's that kind of of course i'm using this euphemism terribly it, it you know <laughs> you you have to keep striving for goals and and, and always hungry. yeah i mean sam's yeah. a better person to answer this than i am because he's he's working eight days a week and 25 hours out of the day um you know i, I i've got 18 17 18 years of touring so i'm a little you know long in the tooth, but I'm happy, I'm happy to just take some time off and be like, Oh, we're only doing weekends for the next six months. Cool. You know? Um, but at the same time, you still like, even though you are kind of happy with that, you yeah. still, I know you're still always kind of trying to push forward in some way. Sure. Sure. I mean, so I that's what everybody's kind of still trying to, to do yeah. no matter what the, the scenario is. Of course. <laughs> and, and, you know, you got to find, I call it busy work, but you got to find, you know, sessions or subbing or filling in or whatever. And you have to find yeah. things to do. And then that gives you a new goal or, or maybe, you know, it'll be 3 a.m. And I'm like, I'm bored. I'm going to try to learn this Megadeth solo just because I can. But, you know, you, you definitely need to keep, you know, moving forward and, and, and your trajectory moving. Otherwise, you just kind of, you know, it's real easy to for, sort of fizzle out and fade away, I guess. But, uh, I don't know. Is it because of the the, the climb of the mountain? You, know, you start at the bottom and it takes a lot of work to get 
where you're both at um, in in the music business. And you kind of remember you got a lot of battle scars going up that mountain and you you fall down a few feet, you get back up, you keep climbing it up. And then when you get to this or you attain some success or a sliver of success, however you want to describe it, and you keep building on that, you know, that there's that stress of going backwards, right? And that fear of going backwards, you know, because you you don't want to go back to where you were because the struggle was real. That was a real thing that you went through to get to the position that you're at, whether it's in LA guns, whether it's in Dorothy, whether it's wherever, and you just keep building on it, but you don't want to, again, go backwards. I mean, as long, I feel like as long as the phone keeps ringing, then um, you're probably doing something right. And, uh, you know, it's definitely, there's sort of a turning point I noticed about maybe 10 years ago where, you know, Sam's probably experienced this over the last maybe two or three years where you're like walking in to maybe an industry event and people are like, Hey, I know you. And you're like, me, me, you know, and, um, and, you know, taking that from that level forward and, you know, trying to be the consummate professional or, um, you know, easy to work with or whatever, or, 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 you know, a, a, a plus at your craft and, um, you know, and then just kind of keep net. There's a lot of networking. It never ends. The networking yeah. never ends. Um, a lot of that, especially in, in Los Angeles, um, and the sort of like jam type events and anything like that. Um, until you reach a point where you are sort of self-sufficient and, uh, you know, the, the, I see a lot of people throw the term rock star around and it's interesting to hear that from, you know, people that are, are not in sort of the music industry. And, uh, you know, I consider myself, I'm sure Sam would agree. We're working musicians, you know, there's, there's nothing to me, to me, like Billy Idol's a rock star, like James Hetfield yeah. that's a rock star, you know, Jerry Cantrell, like guys like that, you know, Beyonce, whatever. Um, we're working musicians, you know, we work and we do our job and we show up and we, you know, presumably make a living at it. And, um, you know, just to get to that point is, is a lot of work. Um, and, uh, doesn't that define define success being a working musician? I mean, there's a lot of people that never able to attain that, but the fact that you are a working musician and can support yourself. Yeah. I, 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 what's in itself. What's, what's the thing that Dave Mustaine says in that some kind of monster documentary goes, Oh, well, a lot of people would consider my success, success, whatever my career is successful. But to me, it's a failure because I'm always living in the shadow of he's talking about the shadow of Metallica or whatever I'm paraphrasing here. But, um, I mean, I don't consider myself successful. I would, you know, I feel like I'm always sort of striving for the next sort of bar or whatever rung. Um, maybe, a few clicks up the proverbial ladder, I might be like, okay, that's my vision of success. But I will say on the same, you know, mindset where it's like, you know, like uh, I have a house, I own a car. uh, I have a really cool record collection. I have three really needy dogs and it's all, you know, it's not because, um, you know, I won the lottery or, you know, or because, you know, my great aunt died and left me a large sum of money. It's because I've worked to get to the point where I'm, you know, I have a career, you know, and I have things like uh, publishing or um, I have a really great platform. Sam does as well called Patreon. That's, that's really helpful and supportive. And so there's all these other elements that, that factor in, but for all intents and purposes, 
Uh, I am a career musician. And to some people that would be a success. Uh, it, to me, it's a success. To me, it is a success because, you know, I'm able to put food on my table by being, you know, this sounds really tacky, but by being a Spawn Johnson and, um, you know, I don't know how else to word it, but obviously there are people that I look up to that, you know, are doing better than I am. And to me, those are successes. Um, I just saw, uh, Damon Johnson, um, about a week ago, uh, at a, a, a function here in Nashville, we were talking and he's currently playing for Leonard Skinner. And so, you know, we're talking about being hired guns and working and, you know, career goals and things like that, you know, the sort of water cooler talk. Right. And, um, to me that is like, wow, like this guy's, you know, he was Alice Cooper and Thin Lizzy and Leonard Skinner. Like these are household names, not just one, but three of them or probably more. You talk about brother Kane and all these other things he's done. You know, to me, that's like that next couple clicks up a couple rungs up to what I would view as a success. And I'm sure there are people that, that think I'm a success and, you know, I'm always hungry. So to me, if I was to be like, I'm successful right now, I would feel like that would be indicative of complacency and complacent. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm still, I'm still looking for that next thing. And um, that I guess maybe keeps me hungry. And in the interim, I stay busy with, you know, like I said, busy work sessions and voiceover and whatever the Patreon stuff and whatever the fuck else I do that keeps the lights on. What is life like as a hired gun? Which part of it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A little more. A lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you're dealing with a lot of personality types. Um, and, um, it's a lot of, uh, uh, learning how to communicate with different people and all, being in a band is like being in a relationship, but it's different when you are uh, a hired gun because it's, it's no longer a, a sense of like, Hey, like the three of us started this band together. And I could be like, dude, that idea sucks or fuck you, man. Or, Hey, I love you, man. That was great. I love what you did. You're an, you're an employee. And I don't really consider, you know, I'm sure the internet will tell me otherwise. And of course they know everything. Right. But uh, I don't consider myself a, a hired gun when it comes to LA Guns. I know I'm a band member uh, my fifth year. And uh, maybe the first two or three years I was in Pussycat, I felt like a hired gun. Um, and maybe the first year or so I was in LA Guns, maybe the same sort of vibe. But I mean, I have no, I could, I mean, Tracy FaceTime me in his underwear at like 1 a.m. the other day, like, what, dude, what's up? You know, like to me, that's not really like hired gun vibe. That's like my bro. You know, and we didn't even talk about the band. We didn't talk about anything. Band before. vibe. We talking about our life and, you know, his life and my life and all these things. And to me, that's more of a, a band, a band member. These are your brothers. But being a, I'm trying to get back to the question, being a hired gun, um, you know, you got to kind of know when to kind of, I would say, keep your mouth shut or, you know, a lot of, you know, you know, re- respecting what the artist wants that's employing you um, or, you know, you might be just filling in. And so you're just sort of there temporarily. I think there's a lot of elements that come along with it. And it is a lot of, uh, dealing with personality types. And my background is a lot different than I think Sam's is and, um, dealing with a lot of punk rock bands and sort of volatile personalities and people that maybe have some substance issues or, or some maybe mental health issues or or combination of, you know, you got to kind of know, you know, like, you know, I, like now's a good time for me to sit on my hands and shut the fuck up. 
you know, and just get up on, I get on stage and I do my job and I play the songs and beyond that, I'm not here to tell you how to, you know, bake your chicken. Right. So a, a lot of that. And, uh, and that's that. When you're in that experience, Ditto. <laughs> when, when you're, when you're in that experience that. You know, and you know, a personality may be a challenge that wants to hire you. Um, being a working musician, is it, is there ever a time where you reject something because, yeah. you know, that room is going to be volatile and you just don't yes. want to deal with it or yes. is it just, you just want the work and you take it? Um, I know guys that have taken gigs that they knew they shouldn't have taken simply because they needed to work or simply because, and I'm not going to name band names, although I could, uh, where they're like, God, I know this is going to be a fucking nightmare or this might even be a, what is it called? Like a black spot on my resume or something like that. But they needed it. They needed the work or they needed to get back out there and be seen or, or something like that. And I've been there. I'm sure Sam, maybe I, I know a lot of guys that have been like, well, I don't really want to do this two week tour with this band, but I know that at least it'll keep me busy and keep me a lot of it again with the sort of social media stuff. You know, it's like, Oh, I was at the concert. You know, I wasn't paying attention, but I was there. Here's my Instagram check-in or whatever. It's, it's, it's similar to that of like, well, you know, I hated the tour and there was only 17 people at each show, but I was on tour and we were busy and I was working, you know, so it's a yeah, lot sometimes of, you have to take gigs that you might not totally want to, but sure. you, this is still a, a job as yeah. fun as it can be sometimes. So sometimes you got to take gigs that it's like, okay, I probably won't leave that one on the resume, but I Correct. did it and I made some yeah. money. Yeah, it was a, a, absolutely. There's tons of gigs like that where people, you know, people, go, Oh, Ace, uh, you know, 10 years of Faster Pussycat and on it, you know, LA Guns, blah, 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 blah. There's so many, there's a ton of gigs where I was like, oh, I did that for five shows or I did this for six months. And we don't, you know, it's just, we don't talk about that, you know, and, uh, you know, that's just comes with being a working musician. They're not all going to, every gig is not going to be LA Guns with your boss calling you and be like, dude, how are you? How are your dogs, man? We got to get tacos. That is not every gig. That's, that's, no, you know, maybe one in 10 are that awesome, but it's, it's more rare. Um, it's usually, if you're talking simply hired gun, they don't, they don't give a shit. You know, it's like, show up, play the songs. Here's your paycheck. See you next time. Or sometimes here's your paycheck and we'll call, don't call us. We'll call you. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of that's covered. I, I watched that documentary. What was it called? Hired gun. I think it was hired yeah. gun. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. of on, on, on rung, you know, music acts higher than say, you know, Dorothy or LA guns or whatever, you know, you're talking about Alice Cooper. You're talking about, you know, was one of guys Bon Jovi, like Phil X was on there. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's so many clicks above what we're, we're experiencing ourselves here, but um, you know, then it becomes a whole other thing where, you know, I've had guys who were like, well, you know, I don't even communicate with the artist. It's all like through a liaison, like, Oh yeah. The singer or management. Yeah. Yeah. Or management, you know, and they're like, show up and give you a fist bump. You do the concert and you never, you don't even have their phone number. So I, I don't know on that level, I would imagine it's weird, but um, again, you're dealing with personality types. And uh, I think as long as you know, you can do your jobs proficiently and, and sort of know when to shut your mouth and, and show up to work, uh, you know, might, might behoove you um, because not every gig is like the band of brothers, like, you know, you know, whoa, Bundy, like, you know, it's not always like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I've seen too, with a lot of emerging bands that end up breaking up is the one common denominator. I'm sure this has been 
the case for years is there's always a certain part of the band that can't get out of the way, right? They have yeah. to, you know, if, if, if they have an issue with the singer or the guitar player as, you know, whatever the case is, you know, they're, they're, they're all equal parts in a band, but they're not equal parts in how fans identify with the band, right? Of course. I mean, that's just how it is. That's just the dynamic. And there's, and, and it seems like when a lot of bands break up, it's because the ones that aren't as identifiable with the fan base can't get out of the band's way of success because they feel like they're being, what's the word? Um, marginalized, maybe? Marginal, yes, marginalized. And, and that's not the case. It's just the way people absorb the music and people sure. see the band. Yeah, you can't control that. You can't control, like, you know, if the fan base all decides that they like the bass player, you know, and the singer is, you know, becomes a point of contention. I mean, that shit happens all the time. Uh, totally. And, uh, you know, not really a whole lot you can do about it. Um, and of course, all of these scenarios, every single one I want to sort of retcon and say each one is completely unique unto their own scenario, just because my experience what experiences were X, Y, and Z doesn't mean that Sam's or anyone watching or listening to this would be the same thing, you know? And so, um, I think that's pretty, except where I've said ditto. Ditto. Yes. (laughs) I just know that like, you know, God, if I, you know, if I was in a band back in the day and I was the bass player and, you know, the fans were all over the guitar player and the singer, which is most bands, Sure. you know, but that's helping us rise to success and being who we are. I know I would be like, I just need a, a eat, eat a sandwich, eat a shut the fuck up sandwich and just enjoy yeah. the rock. Well, know? that's when people, you have to, and, and, and there's a lot of eating crow that goes along in, in this industry. And then also, you know, you got to know, you know, are you here to create, you know, to be a, a sort of cog in the machine and like we're creating this music and, and this entity together? Or are you upset because your ego is bruised? Yeah. Because more people wanted pictures with Sam than me, you know, or whatever. And, um, you need to let a lot of that stuff go. There's so much humility that goes on as far as just being a musician. Um, and I think people need to remember that on both ends as artists and people absorbing music. You know, it, it it's, uh, you know, I think there's too many people that they're, they're their own biggest fan. And, uh, you know, like, you know, like I should have been the star and it's like, right. You know, did you, unless you, unless you are the Beyonce in the band or whatever, you know, it's like, did you write all the songs and sing them all and record everything yourself? No. Okay. It was a group effort. Okay, cool. Then you're part of this thing. Um, and the flip side is of course you get those guys that are like, I did write and record all of it and it is me. Um, you know, that's what, what do we call that? Like lead singer disorder or something like that. Yeah, um, virus or, or something like that. Yeah, whatever. But lead um, singer, LSD, lead LSD, singer, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I think it's all case by case, of course, you know, backpedal. I'm already backpedaling. Oh, but, case um, by case. Yeah, it's case by case, but I, I, that's pretty common to see people, you know, it's, it's, it's an ego thing. And, and, uh, I think it's, it's really helpful to remember, uh, no matter what your role is, even if you are the main writer or whatever, is to kind of set your ego aside and, and be a little humble. Um, and I, I can say that any instant in my career, if I've been humbled repeatedly and had that sort of clobbered into my head um, and uh, 
you know, I might be a jerk or I might have a little bit of a, what do you, you know, a, a, a jaded streak, but at no point am I like, you know, you know, me, you know, I think that's the easiest way to lose touch with reality and also lose a gig. You know, I've seen it happen and I'm not going to name names, but I know Sam and I know some people I've seen, seen it happen where they couldn't get out of their own way and they, they let their ego sort of steer the ship and it maybe cost them a gig or some friendships or business relationships or all of the above. And uh, yeah, so uh, humbleness is, is definitely crucial if you were part of a group of people creating music or whatever, just the same way it would be if you were a guy building motorcycles or a guy in an office, you know, unless you're the motherfucking CEO, you know, King shit, there's a whole group of people that have to come together, a manager and a booking agent, and a tour manager and a roadie and a tech and a drummer and a bass player and a flautist and a this and a that. It's all of that. You know what I mean? So, and of course, you know, I might've, poo pooed on some experiences but you know you, you really you can't be a me or a sam or a who or a bon jovi without your fan base and so um ultimately that's where the everything lies at the end of the day is is are your fans there and if you don't have any fans and you've got nothing and of course i come at this angle of the guy having to deal with you know people bitching and moaning or or, or trolling or whatever. And so it's unfortunate for me that those are the things that stick out more often than not. But for every jackass troll, there's 200 people that were like, dude, fucking love you guys. You know, so unfortunately, the sensitive artist type that I am gets hung up more often than not on that one guy, Joe, with Joe Bob and Sheboygan, right? But um, of course, per the course now, I've lost track of what I was even talking about. But you know, as far as touring goes for both, of, for both of you, what's the thing that you look forward to the most when you tour? And what's the thing you miss the most when you're touring? Oh, that's easy. I mean, looking forward to seeing friends in different cities and the audience, you know, I'm not talking about the guy swiping. I'm talking about the other 98% of them that are watching the show that are loving it or, or, you know, just there absorbing or whatever. That's sort of the obvious, but yeah, seeing friends that you might only see regionally, you know, wherever. And, uh, yeah. And what do you miss? Yeah. The, the gigs, I like the gigs and I mean, the shows are, that's number one for me. And yeah, getting to see people you don't normally get to see all the time and get to see places you don't really get to see all the yeah. time, get to get to different areas of the country or the world or, or whatnot. The worst yeah. part is, uh, I think for Ace and I is kind of the same answer is, you know, with us both liking our, our current home situations, it's having to leave home for long periods of time, you know, for, for some eight, eight, nine, 10 weeks, you know, not, not, that's just saying, you know, if we're having to mark something as the worst, that's probably the worst for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think being away from that, from home for prolonged periods of time and then especially away from my dogs personally is definitely the sort of low end of, of the spectrum. Is, is there moments on a tour? Obviously, when you start a tour, there's the newness and there's the excitement, right? And then you kind of hit that, that wall where you at about week five. Yeah. I was going to say at about a month. Yeah. <laughs> What what do you think causes that? Just the, the the longevity or the distance, you know, from when you first started, or is it just, you know, the the stresses of touring are are starting to 
to, to you know to tick up i'll contribute a few things the yeah. uh all of the above but you know if something is like eight nine or ten weeks the how long it is and the fact that you're living in if you are in a bus or if you're in uh, what's called a bandwagon or if you're in a van you are living in this tiny space with seven eight nine people 10 people maybe personality types cleanliness in a small space small space yeah how do you overcome that stuff sleep uh, as much as possible sleep as much as possible yeah hiding in your bunk um i try to and get out um, and get out as much as possible I try to adventure out and, um, I was going to mention this and then I was trying to be sh- brief. And of course I failed at that. But I, one of the things that is a highlight is I try to find, um, I think maybe in the last tour I was doing it maybe two or three times a month, but I try to find like, um, like animal shelters or something in that world that I can go to, to kind of get me out of like, uh, the music element. Um, or even the last where Sam and I were going to the gym periodically, something that's sort of, um, you know, positive or at least innocuous. That's not just like, you know, sitting and waiting for sound check or going to guitar center to buy strings or doing a meet and greet or, you know, I, it's like, I need to get out of the, that element periodically and, and remember that I'm a human being with my own, you know, agenda or whatever you know and um you know t- what is it go touch some do grass. your own thing do yeah, your own do, thing do my own thing you know what do you than- do sam uh i mean i i like if we're in places where i know there's kind of a cool guitar shop i do like to go there i i could not tell you i well i can't tell you the last time i went to guitar center because it was when we were with tony <laughs> but <laughs> the uh I'm not big on on that kind of stuff, but I like going out and if there's kind of a guitar shop nearby or if there's a, a place to go, just walk around just to see stuff or uh, I like to, to shop or some cases hike. I don't really do that too much on on touring, but uh, while touring, but just kind of me, it's it's getting out and and walking and just kind of, you know hanging out till it's time to sound check and then after sound check you got all this time to either go to the gym or just do your own thing for a little bit yeah you got to break it up to to sort of save your sanity i think and and then and- sometimes it's like oh, okay then it's like if there's a band hang happening or you know certain stuff like that yeah, it's fun all, it's but day off or all going to the movies yeah and other times you just gotta just do your thing whatever it is yeah. Week about week four is when the uh insanity usually starts to kick in. Does it ever does it ever come back to that initial excitement or is it just a matter from once that happens, it's just doing what you need to do to push through and get to the end of the tour? Which initial excitement? The initial excitement of the initial tour excitement of touring and, and, and all that, you know, that adrenaline that you're getting. Does it ever come back after you hit that wall, or is it at that point just finding things to, to get through it? For me, it's always kind of there still. So even when I, uh, it just I'm just answering because this will be a different answer, I think, for both of us. But mm. the uh, for me, it's the excitement's always kind of still there because we're still doing shows. But it, you know, kind of once that 
law happens, it's like, okay, there's certain things that, you know, maybe the littlest thing happened, but it can irritate you a little bit more than it would have week one, you know? Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, you're a little, little more like, okay, it's almost over. You got countdown going on. <laughs> like, Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, to me, it's just an ebb and flow, you know, uh, you know, I'm usually not like excited out of the gate. It's to me, it's almost like nerve wracking. It's like I'm ramping up to that. It usually takes me about three to seven shows to get in the swing of things. Then I'm, then I'm excited, you know, like I, it's, I, I don't really recall a time where I was like the first, it didn't, it usually doesn't start like this and sort of taper off. It's usually kind of starts in the the middle and it kind of does like a wave. Um, but it's, you know, each tour is its own animal. Yeah, that's for sure. I imagine it's important to recognize that too, when it's happening, because, you know, that can affect relationships in the band too, as well. If you don't, because like Sam just said, the littlest thing can irritate you. And if you don't recognize that, yeah, it's probably irritating me because I've been in this bus or wherever van for five weeks. Yeah. And that's probably what's irritating me more than what just happened. Totally. Totally. Yeah. You just try to keep it as level headed as possible. But that's why you get out and you do other stuff. That's why you get out and kind of do your own thing so that you can come back and just, yeah. And just reassess. It's like, okay, was that that big of a deal? Okay. It wasn't, I'm not going to tell the guy to fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Last question, and I call it uh, the Scott Stevens question because I just recently had him on, and he and he Ooh. had a little bit of a, a of a debate on 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 songwriting. Um, and just love the conversation with him. Uh, you know, he was just a great dude. But we were talking about writing music, creating music. What's more important, the lyrics or the melody? For both of you, what's more important? Oh. I don't have an answer there. I would say it depends on the song because for me personally, as a guy who loves music, uh, sometimes I don't give a shit about the lyrics. And then sometimes I only give a shit about the lyrics. So I, I don't have an answer, unfortunately. I'd, I'd probably say the melody because if there's a melody that somebody can remember, I mean, I like a song regardless of the genre, if it has a good melody or something that's, catchy or sticks with you and if if there's a good melody 90 percent of humans won't even know the lyrics they'll just know the sounds to make those sounds to make (laughs) is the melody yeah yeah you're right you're right i suppose if push came to shove i would have to say the melody then yeah because the melody is the hook right that's the what that that pulls you in but for us for us as guitar players it's the riff yes 100 (laughs) percent Everything else is secondary to the guitars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a good exactly. point. And, I'm kidding. And, and, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, no, but no, but it, 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 it's an interesting question. And I know I just said this was our last question, but I'm going to follow up with that, Sam. As guitar players, how do you, what's your process with, with finding a riff? Does it come to you in your head? Is it noodling? Is it just playing? Um, we, during that Scott Stevens interview, we talked about, the Beatles in that let it be documentary where George Harrison is asking Paul, what's the lyrics for something. And Paul goes, just mumble and you'll find, you know, and you'll find something just keep mumbling. Yeah. 
Is yeah. it the same thing with guitar players where you, it, it's obviously it's not mumbling or maybe it is mumbling. Um, but how do you find that riff where you're like, wow, that that's, that's badass. That's cool. I'm going to keep going with this. For me, it's a little of both for sometimes I'll hear something in my head and then I I'll sing it into my phone. And then when I can get to a guitar, I try it. Or sometimes I'm just sitting with the guitar sitting in this spot and just like come up with something. I try to have the voice memo on just in case I play something because, uh, you know, if I play it and then it's gone, then it's gone. But uh, it, it, it can be a little of both for me, for sure. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Basically the same thing here. I might get a, you know, an idea in my head or a melody, or I might just be sitting around with my guitar watching something on Netflix and I might be like, Oh, that was cool. Uh, I have, thousands of little bric-a-brac voice notes voice memos on my phone of of riffs and i would say probably two-thirds of the time i sit down with a guitar i come up with something that doesn't mean it's good or that it's usable <laughs> that it's it usable. doesn't mean it's always good yeah exactly it doesn't mean it's gonna apply to maybe one of the bands i'm in or whatever but um i might um bookmark it for something down the road i mean with one of the the uh song that closes out the new LA Guns record was uh, a riff that I wrote that I wrote the riff in a different key probably 12 years ago and I just never turned it into a song I just had this riff and I would play it at like sound check Sam see me do stuff like this and vice versa and uh it came time to come up with songs and I was trying to force a demo out of riffs and I went through and I was looking and I was like, Oh, rock riff X. And I pulled it up and I was like, that's cool. I'll try it in the key of a mate. And, uh, now it's called, uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's the last song. on the new album. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's important to just like, or at least I think it's important. I mean, I also have, uh, well over a uh, hundred demos just on my computer here alone. That's not even talking about all the random voice memos, just, probably hundreds and hundreds of those but like i think it's important to even if you have an idea even if it's not like getting used right now or for this for the certain particular thing it could come in handy later later for sure ditto ditto well 2023 is upon us ace you've got the new la guns album coming out i i will say this and I'll yell this from the from the tallest mountain or the highest mountain that L.A. Guns is a band that is probably making equal or better music than they did back in their heyday. The last three albums have been absolutely fantastic. And the first single off this new album is absolutely fantastic. Um, that's got to be exciting to whatever you guys are doing to find that creative juice. It is working and it's, it's, uh, it's really special because at one point that band was kind of forgotten and yeah. kind of dismissed. And you can't say that anymore because and I've said this before. This material that you guys are releasing is the best since cocked and loaded. I mean, the last four albums have just been absolutely. I mean, special. it's, it, that's all. I it's, agree. It's, it's Tracy Guns is the special sauce. Obviously that needs no introduction or ex- explanation there, but. You get Tracy and Phil in the same room and sit down and hash out some riffs and some some vocal melodies, and uh, you end up with LA Guns and uh, with with the right group of guys. I'd like to think myself being one of them. Uh, you end up with uh, 
you know, checkered past and, uh, devil, you know, and, uh, black diamonds and all these, and you know, the missing piece obviously was with Michael and, um, yeah, I, but I think Tracy plus Phil equals LA guns and not just equals LA guns, but equals, you know, great music. They've always been great songwriting partners. And so that's what you get. And it's, it's humbling and, uh, a fantastic legacy to be a part of. Seeing you guys at the whiskey too, it just seems like there's a general, and I know you touched on this too in this interview, but there's like a general fondness for each other. Like you guys look like you're happy to be around each other. Yeah. What a concept, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we are. Um, I mean, it's just that simple. That's why I, it's infuriating to me when I see people on, you know, there goes one of the dogs. Uh, when I see people on the internet being like, yeah, these two guys, they don't even like each other. And I read in a chat group that one time in the 1993 and it's like, homie, I'm there. I'm in the bus with the guys. I'm in the green room with the guys. I'm, I'm witnessing it firsthand. And now for five years, you couldn't be any more off the mark. And so, uh, I hope that isn't as loud for you guys as it is for my me. dog barks all the time. Oh, the house, so it's she good. really does not like anyone coming near the house. So God bless her. She's telling everyone to stay away. Um, I can attest in my, uh, in my seeing, uh, how LA guns operates. It's pretty awesome to see how, uh, great of a unit they are. So I well, can attest to that. It comes it's, it's a, we're all, it's family. Yeah. I mean, and it comes to in the music, like, you know, there's a lot of bands that are out there from that era. I won't mention names that are touring that are abysmal. Um, and you see them and you're like, you know, but the first thought for me as a fan is I can't believe I just blew this much money. (laughs) But, but you know, when I, when I see Nelly guns, I saw them and the whiskey and then I saw them on the, I think it was the devil, you know, tour. Yeah. Uh, out in West Dundee in Illinois at this place called the Rock House. Oh yeah, I remember that place. Yeah, that was a phenomenal show. And I just remember the crowd and I hadn't seen you guys probably since back in the day. And I remember just standing there going, holy shit, like this fucking rocks. Like this is awesome. And everything that you guys have put out, um, you know, in these last four albums have just been absolutely incredible. So. I'm excited for the new album. I'm excited for you. And, and, uh, I hopefully you'll be coming to Chicago sometime this year because I missed you last year. I wasn't able to go, but yeah, um, hopefully, uh, summertime or later we'll be rolling through a couple, couple sort of, uh, major markets. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sure Pussy Catwell as well too. And, uh, I think they've got some stuff. You got, is the sing, Sam, is the new single out Pussycat or is it coming out? Yeah. Uh, like a ghost. The latest single came out sometime recently. I can't remember. <laughs> Is that? Oh, it came out in November. It came out in November. So okay, uh, so it's been a minute. Yeah. So uh, it's, when's yeah, the vinyl? I, when's that seven inch of that coming out? That's why I was getting confused. Uh, because I think the vinyl Same. is is coming soon because it was just uh, faster did a, a deal with Golden Robot Records, which is based in Australia. So when we just did these shows in Australia, uh, they had the vinyl there. So I think it's, they're going to bring some here so that, uh, we can start distributing, selling them. Yeah. Is the B side pirate love? 
The B side is Pirate Love. Yes. Cool. And uh, I, 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 I took a few. Tammy gave Tammy gave me the other test pressing, and then I took a took a couple. But we'll get some more. Nice. We'll get some more. What else is going on this year for you, Sam? You mentioned the faster pussycat. You're going to be doing some stuff with Dorothy. Um, Any new butterside stuff? Any new other things coming out? Yeah, I mean, all three. Uh, I think Dorothy is even working on new music right now. And uh, like you had mentioned, Scott Stevens. I know she's she's working with him. And I met Scott. Uh, this last this fall and he was talking about having me be involved so uh, we'll see where that ends up going with uh and then with pussycat yeah we're still working on new stuff i actually just tracked some stuff the other day for uh, this in excess cover song we're trying to finish up we were trying to do it before we went to australia but uh you know stuff got in the way but there's another yeah, there's a there's a new song called Motorbike that's just waiting to get mixed by Jacob Button, the fantastic Jacob Button, who aces in a band called Neon Coven with. And uh and then yeah, more butterside stuff. I've written a, a ton of riffs and we've kind of got zeroed in on four more things that we want to record to then have a full record of 12 songs. We still have um two songs to put out from the last batch of tunes that we did. We had a song called Joker that came out at the beginning of December, which uh, is one of my favorite things that we've done so far. And uh, so more, more stuff everywhere. Awesome. That's great. Well, Hey, thanks. uh, Thanks for doing this. Both you guys. I appreciate it. Um, I know we've been trying to schedule this and everything, everybody's got stuff going on, but glad to sit down with you here and, and talk with you about some things. And, and, uh, yeah, I can't wait for the new LA guns. I can't wait for new stuff from you, Sam. Butterside is, is, is awesome. Is great as well. Looking forward to that. Um, so thank you very much, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it, Jay. Thanks for having us. Thanks, man. That is Sam, and that is Ace, and this is Jay on the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Me podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Um, check out all their music in uh, Dorothy Faster Pussycat Butterside for Sam and L.A. Guns for Ace. Also, as Sam mentioned, one of my favorite albums in 2021 was a Neon Coven album, which I hope that there's something new coming out of that. Hint, hint, hopefully soon. <laughs> um, but hey, check all that out. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Take care of each other. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. Thanks.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 